0: may be seated. One of the things that I love about um, corporate worship is that um, as we sing and I hear you sing and confessing our sins together, it's just there's this sense of like, I'm not in this alone. Like, these are my people and these truths have formed all of us and we belong to this Jesus together. Um, And I don't know about you, but I need that. Um, And so this really is the highlight of my week. I often find myself um, clawing myself through the weekend just to get to Sunday morning to be with y'all. So it is good to be here. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at John chapter 4. If you are new to Christianity and maybe aren't familiar with the Bible, maybe you don't have a Bible, we've printed the text for you on page 9 of your worship guide. And if you're watching online um, and you don't have a Bible, message us. We would love to send you one um, so that you can have God's Word um, in your home and in your hands so that it might reside in your hearts. So John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. This is God's Word. And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you. Am He. Let's pray. Lord, you have promised that just as the rain falls from the sky and causes the earth to spring up with new life, so your word will come and it will never return to you void without accomplishing all that you intend. And so come into the barren places of our hearts and cause your gospel. To bring new life and in abundance. May your spirit work by the power of the resurrection in us today. So that we might see your glory, your beauty and have our eyes fixed on you. For we pray these things Jesus in your name. Amen. Well, we're in a season that Christians often call Advent, which means coming, or arrival. Christmas is the celebration of God coming into the world, not as just a sentimental journey, but God coming, the Creator coming into the world to fix what's broken, to redeem what sin had corrupted. And and as the such, Jesus is the long-awaited one that... Isaiah had said would come and be Emmanuel, God with us. And so throughout Advent, we're exploring this theme of who is the God who is with us by kind of jumping off of or hyperlinking to Psalm 34, 18. The God is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus as the one who is God who has come near in compassion. Last week, Adam had looked at Jesus as God who has come near, as the one who brings loving healing, and here's what we're going to look at in John 4. This is the question that we want answered from John chapter 4. What happens when God comes near to us in our sin? Because we're natural hiders. We don't like to admit the truth about the darkest parts of who we are. We even hide that from ourselves. Those areas of shame are the areas that imprison us the most. The things that we are most ashamed of are the darkest parts of our lives and weigh us down. A study was run A few years ago, on 13,000 people, and this is what they found. They found that the average person is holding on to 13 secrets, five of which they have never told another single living soul. No one has heard that. And I think those numbers are kind of low. Um, I think they were probably hiding the truth about the lies that they're actually hiding from others because five seems absolutely too low for most of us. Here's the interesting thing. They asked those people in those studies as they were kind of exposing, asking them to think about the things that they are hiding in those lives, those most shameful parts. They said, Here's what we want you to do. We want you to walk up this hill as you are thinking about those deep areas of shame that you're hiding. And here's what they found. Those. "...who were most preoccupied with keeping secrets judged the hill that they were walking on as steeper and the distances they were walking on as longer." Those burdens in your heart are doing more than just weighing you down emotionally. They are affecting every single area of our lives." And they are dragging us down into despair. And here is what we need. We need Jesus to come into those most broken parts of our shame. So that he might satisfy our deepest longings. And our deepest longing is this. To be known by God. And to be loved by God. So as John chapter 4 starts, Jesus' fame is growing. And the Pharisees are getting a little uncomfortable with his position in ancient Israel. They are finding him, gathering crowds. And so he leaves Jerusalem and he heads up north to the area of Galilee, which is the area that he was from. And it's the area where he did the bulk of his ministry. And along the way, in between Judea in the south and Galilee in the north, lay the land called Samaria. Most devout Jews bypassed Samaria. They would go west, north, and then come back east to get to Galilee because Samaria had a sordid history. The Samaritans were considered a racial half-breed, they had intermixed during Israel's Exile, they had been unfaithful to God's covenant. They were ceremonially unclean to interact with a Samaritan meant that you couldn't then go into the temple. And so John tells us in verse 9 that on the lips of the woman that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. But here's Jesus. He doesn't avoid these people. As we'll see later, he actually engages them. In fact, in verse 4, John says that Jesus had to... Pass through Samaria. Not because he is bound to efficiency. He's not bound in bondage to efficiency, and this is just the quickest way. He's tethered to his father's mission. He has come into the world to seek and save the lost, not avoid those who were broken and unclean. He's come to engage them. In fact, throughout John's gospel, that language of has had has very technical meaning, and it carries the sense in John's gospel of divine necessity. John's saying Jesus had to enter into Samaria because he had an appointment with the Samaritans, particularly with a woman. Caught in the cycle of shame because of her sin. We're told that Jesus shows up at this well with this woman around the sixth hour, which is shorthand for the noon of the day. She's there in the heat of the day and it's a significant piece of information because typically a woman in this day and age would be the one who would go and fetch water, didn't run into their homes, they would have to go to the wells and And they would carry these heavy pots, often on their heads, to get the water from the well. And the women would do this. This was their daily activity. And they would do it in the morning and the evening because those were the cool parts of the day. No one would carry a heavy pot full of water in the heat of the day. And yet, John tells us this is what she comes. And the original hearers would have thought, what's wrong with this woman? Why is she coming in the middle of the day? And the answer is, because she's hiding. We later find out that she's a serial adulterous woman who's had five husbands and was not married to the man that she was now living with. Her sexual sin had caused her to be ostracized from the community. And so she is hiding from those who might cast a Side glance at her or judge her. And you see, this is what from our first parents onward shame does to us, it makes us hide. The greatest barrier to community in any place and time is not busyness, technology, or any other thing. The greatest barrier to true community is our shame. And from the first parents onward, we craft like Adam and Eve, we hide and craft fig leaves to cover up the most shameful parts of who we are. We hide because we hate feeling vulnerable. And sin always creates shame. Because it ends up revealing that we need someone outside of us to step in and redeem us. One author talks about this experience of shame. She was with her husband planting a church. And that day she had accidentally run over the neighbor's dog which is shame-inducing. Her son had a neck injury in football in that time period, so she was needing other people to help her through life. And at the time, her church is imploding. And this is what she says. We opt for hiding over allowing ourselves to be vulnerably exposed because of pride. I don't enjoy particularly falling apart in front of others. There's a very real humiliation factor of not having answers, of dwelling in sadness a bit longer than is socially acceptable or harboring doubts about my faith. I have to consciously fight against the impulse to present well and instead allow my friends and those I lead to see me unravel in an unglorious mess. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. Do you need anything? Oh, no, no, we're fine. I so hate to feel vulnerable. And shame is that feeling of vulnerability we're made to be vulnerable from the very beginning God made us in the garden to be a dependent people dependent on him and it was not good for man to be alone he needed a helper who was fit for him but shame causes us to go like this with our vulnerabilities, those built-in vulnerabilities I'm afraid that you will find out who I am This is where shame is different from guilt. Both make us hide, but for different reasons. Guilt is the feeling that I've done something wrong. I've broken a law. We hide guilt with denial and defensiveness. But shame, shame's more sinister to deal with. If guilt is the feeling that I've done something wrong, shame is the feeling that I am something wrong. And you see what the Samaritan woman was doing. She was hiding from other people by arriving in the middle part of the day, detaching herself from community. But as Jesus points out, she was also hiding with her lovers. And Hesch, the actress, was Ellen DeGeneres' relationship, significant other for a number of years. She suffered sexual abuse from her father when she was a child until the age of 10. And this is what she says as she thinks about her life. I did a lot of things in my life to get away from what had happened to me. I drank, I smoked, I did drugs, I had sex. I did anything I could to get the shame out of my life. Now, watch what Jesus does with this woman. Because our universal solution to our shame, to our vulnerability, is to be found as we are and loved. There and Jesus is the only one with that capacity. She had been going to her lovers for years to find that, and she only finds it, and it's been killing her. She only finds it here in Jesus. You see, it's never our sin that keeps us from Jesus, it is our self. Sufficiency, and it's our self-sufficiency can only be broken through by a direct confrontation with a gracious Savior. So this Jesus has this strange conversation. It ends up being confrontational. He sits down, and it's, it's almost comedic. I think it's comedic on purpose. John has got his his tongue in his cheek here. He sits down at the well because he's tired and he's thirsty. If you ever think Jesus was just partly human or wasn't human like you are, go to John chapter 4. He got thirsty in the middle of the day and he had to ask somebody else for a drink. It's fully human. God in the flesh. Now, she's taken aback by this, and her response is loaded. Verse 9, the woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John inserts the footnote, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And she's got, strike, she's got three strikes against her. She is a Samaritan, she is a woman, and she is a woman with... a. Seedy sexual past. But Jesus is not deterred by this. This isn't a problem for him. The filth of the Samaritans doesn't stick to him. In fact, you really see an exchange that is a glimpse of the cross going on at this point. He, she's saying, I'm a filthy human being. I come from a filthy people. Don't you know this will make you unclean? And Jesus is by engaging with her, it's not the way this works in the kingdom of God. Your filth doesn't stick to me and disqualify me. The way the cross works is your filth becomes my filth, and I will die the death you deserve to die, and then I will wash you and you'll be clean." That's the gospel. And so he begins this interchange with her, and she just doesn't get what he's offering. He turns the issue on her. It's so typical of Jesus. He often enters into our lives in the most ordinary things, and then he, we find that he's turning our hearts inside out. It's often what he does. And so he, he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that gives you, it's asking you for a drink... You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she doesn't get what he's offering. She's thinking, oh, that sure would be convenient. I won't have to come here and do this hard work. You don't have anything to draw with. And the well is deep. Are you better than our father Jacob? Again, John's got his tongue in his cheek at this point by asking putting those words on her lips. Of course he's better than the Father Jacob. He is God in the flesh who has come to redeem. And so Jesus expands a little and he presses in to draw her out. Verse thirteen. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Sir, verse 15, give me that water so I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw. That will make my life so convenient. And you see what's going on is Jesus is offering to satisfy her so that her soul won't be thirsty again. The deep soul level thirst from which all of her cravings arise and she can't grasp it. And this is often what happens. We don't get what Jesus is offering us. We're comfortable with him at the surface level of our lives. We're okay, I'll let you in this far. I'm okay, give me a little morality, make my life a little bit easier, help me deal with my guilt a little bit, but don't come into those hidden parts of our lives. And so Jesus pulls off the gloves in verse 16. Go call your husband. And he's gone after the core problem of her heart with surgical precision. He's not finger wagging at her. He's not condemning her. He wants her to experience his gracious love where she is most broken and with surgical precision he reaches in and brings out that thing and says to her, this is where you're most broken. Go call your husband. You know, that thing that you've been trying to hide for so long, I want to bring it out. Because you can't hide from the eyes of God. He knows all things. He sees all things. He's omnipresent. There is no place where he is not. You cannot hide from him. And it's the hard truth, but it's a glorious truth. Jesus sees Into us. But that kind of exposure in the hands of Jesus becomes the point of redemption in her life. Because Jesus doesn't expose to shame, He exposes shame to redeem. Because He's committed to healing our deepest pain by bringing the satisfying presence of himself and his father's love and the power of God the holy spirit into those deepest crevices of our heart everyone verse 13 who drinks of this water will be thirsty again and again john is famous for double meaning in a, it seems like he means more than just the well here cuz jesus is transitioning He's talking about the well that she's going for, for ultimate satisfaction, ultimate love. Everyone who drinks of that water, the water of your lovers, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And do you see what Jesus is saying? He's no longer talking about the stuff in the ground. He's talking about her search for the deep, satisfying source of life. If you keep going back to that, you're going to keep getting thirsty. If you keep going back to work for life, you're going to get thirsty. If you keep going back to whatever, sports, ambition, children, grandchildren, you name it, whatever it is that we're going to for the source of life, if you keep going back there, you're going to be thirsty Because God's made us for satisfaction, he's made our desires, and our desires are meant to be satisfied. C.S. Lewis says that this is the whole scope of history. The whole scope of human history, he says, is a sad attempt to take money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery. The long, terrible story of man is just us trying to find something other than God, which will make us happy. And the reason why we cannot succeed is this. God made us. Invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it wouldn't run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel of our spirits that was designed to burn or the fuel our spirits were designed, the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There's no other. That's why it's no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about Jesus because God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. And what Jesus means by living water. In John's gospel, eventually we find out means God the Holy Spirit. And whoever believes in me, out of Jesus will come the water that wells up to eternal life in you. And eternal life, as we often say, is not about God quantity It's about quality. Not a, not a long life, but a lot of life that comes from God's own heart. If you go outside to the realm of the created thing to satisfy your God-created desires, then you're going to be thirsty again. But if you come to Jesus, He will give you God Himself in the Holy Spirit. And in contrast to the created wells, the self-constructed wells that are just inherently limited, the spring of life that is the Holy Spirit is endless and eternal and has been given so that we might know the love of God. And you see what he's offering and who he's offering it to. The woman says... If you come to me and you drink from my cups, you'll be unclean. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. Your uncleanliness doesn't defile me. If you come to me, I'll wash you. I'll make you so clean that my spirit can reside in you. And so bring the love of God into those most deep and secret and hidden places that you're so afraid to even look at yourself. And it will be an experience that wells up to eternal life. Now look at how this woman leaves. She has been exposed. The very thing that she's going in the middle of the day to avoid the shame of is the very thing that Jesus exposes Her area of most shame in the hands of Jesus becomes the place where she's not embarrassed, but relieved. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I've ever done. How many of us would rejoice in that? She leaves behind her water pot in verse 28. And again, John is famous for double meaning. It's symbolic. Having encountered the embrace of Jesus where she is most broken and full of shame, where her sin has so broken her She's left it behind and she returns free, get this, not to hide anymore because if God has seen her and loved her with an everlasting love, that covers over her sin, washes her so that she who was once a serially adulterous woman becomes his temple. What's to hide from anymore? Instead, she's rejoicing. I've been found out. I've been found out. Because to be known by Jesus in the place of our deepest shame, is to experience the most profoundly satisfying love. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to your table, we're so thankful that the meal that sits before us points us to your love the cross where shame is borne by a naked Savior so that we could be clothed in his righteous royal garments and accepted before the Father. And we pray what a grand celebration this meal is. This meal is for shameful sinners like us. Oh, thank you. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords has made room for us with joy at his banquet. And so we would pray, take these ordinary elements and use them to nourish us on the cross. For the gospel is our source of joy. And so we pray this, our Savior. In your name, amen.